You know, last week you saw, you know, when we got into the 12 doctrines on salvation and how that, uh, you know, that it's more of just knowing how to go through the Romans road. Uh, sit down with somebody and open your Bible and, and show them how to be saved. Uh, the salvation is based on 12 backbone doctrines taught in the book of Romans and went through those last week. And you should have those in your Bible today, you know, and, and start to look through those and work through those because they're absolutely essential in understanding. And today when we get into Romans chapter 4, uh, you know, chapter 3 we basically saw where man is, is, is in his complete sinfulness and you know, it's hard to believe how that a holy God would want anything to do with any of us, but by the grace of God, He does. But we've been coming to the point in Romans in everything that we've looked at that is focusing on getting God's righteousness. That's the whole concept of Romans. Romans is now opening up and showing us as New Testament Christians how we get God's righteousness even though we don't deserve it. And that's why we went through those 12 great doctrines last week um, to uh, help you understand better how it works. Now, in, I want to open up today, and I want to read Romans chapter 4, and, and pick it up in the first uh, verses 1 through 5 here, and look what it says. It says, What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. What he's basically saying there is that if Abraham was saved by works, then he can't give the God glory of it, he has to take the glory of self because it was own works that saved him. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. For what saith the Scripture? My favorite phrase in the Bible. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And we ask you today to meet with us, give us wisdom and understanding in all that we try to accomplish today. We love you. We thank you, Father, for the Bible that you've given us and for those that, uh, Lord, uh, showed up today. I know a lot of people, Lord, uh, are places today that they ought not to be. Instead of being here, they thought it was more important to be there than here. But I thank you, Father, for the ones that are here today uh, that have come to hear your word. And, Lord, we ask you now to bless us. And, uh, uh, Lord, this is your day. All the way back in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, in the early book of Acts, they set apart the first day of the week. Everything else took second place. That day that you come out of the tomb was the day that, that nothing else gets in the way, that that's where we meet together to preach your word. Thank you for the faithful ones here today. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless us now and give us a good time in your word. In Jesus' name, for his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 basically says this. And this is how he opens this great chapter. Because this chapter, we're going to begin to see how he really begins to define how you and I get the righteousness of God. And what he's done here now, what he's done here in this first five verses, he's told us that, that uh, Abraham was not justified by works, but by faith. But the moment we get to that verse, now we, we have a problem. Because we have a so-called contradiction now in the Bible. Take, a, take your Bible and turn over to James chapter 2. And I want to talk to you today. Basically, I want to show you, because you're going to get into these sooner or later. We've, we've come through a lot of things in the Bible, a lot of things in the book of Romans. Now I want to show you your first contradiction in the Bible. James chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. And here's what it says. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, I just read to you, 
I just read to you in Romans 4 that Abraham was justified not by works, but look what it says here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeing thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was his faith made perfect. Now one place tells you that Abraham was not justified by works, but by faith. The other place tells you that uh, he was, uh, it was works that uh, uh, justified him. And of course, now we have a problem in the Bible, and it's, these are called contradictions in the Bible. And Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, clearly states that Abraham was not justified by works. Then we come over to James chapter 2, and it says that Abraham was justified by works. You know, in your Bible, I know in the Old Testament this is true. In the Old Testament, there's probably about 200 of what we call uh, contradictions in the Bible. These are called, in theological circles, these are called problem texts. And they're, uh, they're what the scholarly world and, and many unsaved people who try to approach the Bible, and many saved people approach the Bible. You see, many people believe that it is the Bible just like any other book. Uh, I'm talking about Christian people. They don't see this book as what it is, as God's book that is completely perfect and uh, without any proven error. But there's a lot, the standard idea is today that the Bible is just like any other book, and the Bible contains mistakes in it just like any other book. And that's because they take the position that the Bible, uh, you know, is not the Word of God. In its, it, it's, it's the thoughts of God. It's the message of God. And what they try to get across today, that it, the individual words or the verses aren't important. What's important is the message that flows through it, see? And I'm here to tell you this morning that you can forget the me- You'll never get the message if you don't get the words. My position on it is very, very clear. I believe the Bible is without proven error in it anywhere, shape, or form. And I believe there are no contradictions in the Scriptures. I believe that the only contradictive things are people who try to uh, go to the Bible without understanding the Bible. That's where the contradictions come up. In the Old Testament, uh, I was taught this growing up in the Word of God, there's probably about 200 places in the Old Testament that don't reconcile. And you'll find where it says over here one thing, and you go to another portion of the Scripture that talks about the same event, and it'll, it'll be changed. It won't be the same. And, of course, the scholars tell us that that's proof that the Bible's not infallible. The scholars tell us that that's proof that an error was made, or a scribe wrote something down here, and then later on another scribe wrote it down, and because uh, uh, he wasn't paying attention, he made a scribal error. He didn't get it right, and it, they, they say there, there's their proof that the Bible has mistakes in it. And, of course, uh, out of those 200 contradictions over the last 35 years of my life, I'd say 175 of them could be answered with common sense, which leaves most Bible scholars out of the picture right out of the bat. I think that 175 of them around there could be answered with just common sense of looking at the context. Of the 25 that remain, I'd say that probably 15 of them uh, would just, could be answered by just doing a little investigative in the Bible. And there's probably 5 or 10 that require some serious Bible study. But I'm saying that to say this. There are no contradictions in the Bible. They're just men who come to the Bible who have an axe to grind against the Bible, so they want the Bible to be like any other book, so they try to find some contradictions in it. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, and there's places like this, I want you to learn a great lesson in Bible study this morning, because sooner or later in your life, you're going to come up against somebody who has these verses and tries to show you exactly what it is. When you go to the book of Galatians, Uh, Paul is still out there in his missionary journeys, and in the book of Galatians, you find that Paul has his, I'm not going to say it's his first problem he has, but it's one of the first problems he has. Christ has just 
been dead and buried and rose again and been back to heaven for, you know, 20-some years, and already in Christianity, problems are coming up. A group of people have coming up and coming to this church in Galatia, and they're telling the Christians that, that oh, you can believe in Jesus Christ, you can believe by faith in Christ, but you've got to keep the law too, see? And uh, they're called the Judaizers, and they're going around teaching the church at Galatia and confusing many young Christians because of the fact they're saying that, well, no, New Testament Christianity is believing in Jesus Christ plus keeping the Old Testament law. And, of course, Paul deals with that in the book of Galatians, and uh, it's, a, it's a problem that we find uh, uh, not just there, but even today and all through the men who try to teach the Bible and lay it out and people get into it. But in time, you're going to run up against most of these so-called contradictions. And uh, you're going to find that people uh, try to use those to show you that your Bible is unreliable. And people will take them, and many times they'll build bad teachings on them or bad doctrines on it. And this is why it's so important for you to grow through the Word of God the way that God wants you to. And the way I lay out the Word of God to you is a very systematic way that that helps you put the Bible together and understand the Bible in a, in a relative way that not only you can apply it to your own life, but you see how it works uh, in areas of theology as far as making the Bible work for you. And in time, if you keep coming through the Scriptures, you keep growing in the Bible, you know, you'll get these, most of these under your belt. Many of you are, are doing something that I think is, is part of your, uh, it's going to help you as much as anything, and we're coming to the place now, you know, we've been here five years. And, and you know what? After five years, you pretty much know what you got in the church. And uh, it's pretty obvious uh, after five years, you know, it's kind of like a, a shakedown cruise, so to speak, you know. And after five years, basically, you know, when you start a church, everybody's excited about it. Everybody's gung-ho, you know. It's like when we started the Institute, you know. Everybody was just, oh, well, yeah, this is the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, last Friday night, that Friday night half of them didn't show up because they found a better deal someplace. The honeymoon gets over very quickly. And it's a thing where after, after five years in a church, you pretty much know what you got. It's kind of like the shakedown cruise, like I said. Everybody, you, know where, you know who you can count on to do what and who you can't. And it's a situation where as you grow in the Word of God, it's so important for you to begin to understand how to deal with situations come up as the church grows. And when you disciple somebody, you're doing more than just uh, trying to get somebody to come into the church, you're helping them stabilize themselves in the Word of God. When you're working with people in the Bible, whether it's on a basic form of discipleship or in the upper levels of dealing with severe problems that people have, your, your, your ability to be able to use the Bible is so key. And sooner or later... As you deal with people, and this is the thing that I see happening in so many of your lives, or many of your lives, that I think is a good thing. You've been around here now for a while, you're growing up in the Word of God, and now you're finding yourself in circumstances where either at work or with the people that you're coming into contact with, that you're using what you're learning, and some of you are getting into some dog fights. And I think that's good. And... Uh, Ray and I were talking the other day how that, you know, if Jehovah Witness comes to my door, and there was a time when Jehovah Witness came to my door, you know, I'd work on him for an hour, you know. I don't, I don't mess with him anymore. I, I do what Ray does. I take their literature so somebody else can't get it and send them on their way, you know. I, I, and I don't, I, don't, I don't get into a lot of discussions because at this stage of my life, I got nothing to prove. Now, somebody comes in on Thursday night and tries to tear the thing up, that's another whole, that's another whole deal. You'll see the Army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps all come out at one time. But, but normally in life, I don't care. 
you know what, I know what I believe and I know where I'm at. And it's because of that I, I have a handle on my own understanding of the Word of God. And you know what, I, you can tell, like the Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly, left to be a wise in his own conceit. And then it says, answer not a fool. And some fools don't need an answer because an answer isn't going to do them any good. Now, but for you young guys, I think it's great. Nothing like getting in a dog fight and getting your tail waxed three or four times to help you learn. See? I remember the first time when I really got right with God and I was just, you know, just got out of the army and I, I really, 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 God got a hold of my heart. Boy, I tell you, I look back in those days and I think to myself, wow, the burning desire I had in my heart and I didn't know nothing about the Bible. I was so stupid I didn't even suspect anything in the Word of God. And, but I had this burning fire in my heart to do something for God. And the place where I was going to church uh, was much like, uh, you know, what we have here. Very Bible-orientated, uh, very doctrinal-orientated. And, um, and, and every year we, at the Stark County Fair, what they did was is they, they, the, the young people's department, uh, the college and career class, they, uh, they, they got booths up at the fair. And they did a survey where, you know, you, uh, uh, you, you just meet people as they walk down the fairway and you say, hey, we're taking a survey and we'd like to, would you like to take this survey? Well, the sur- it's a trap play. I mean, the bottom line is the survey starts out with stupid questions then it finally moves its way down to eternal questions. And then when you ask them, the last question you ask them, do you know if you die today, you go to heaven? And if they say no, then you, just, you say yes, then praise the Lord, thank you. And if they say no, then you say, would you like to know? Well, they had little booze back here that you went back there and, uh, and you won people to Christ. Now, I, I went home that night when I knew this was happening. I wanted to do something for God so desperately. I went home that night and we used to pass out, you've probably seen them, those little tracks called the Simple Plan of Salvation. You ever see them? Well, they got the great little Romans road in them. And I still got my red Bible. You know, every Bible ought to be read. I still got my red Bible. And I went home and I, and I put all those things in there on Romans Road. And I even, I, I'll show it to you sometime. I even got them numbered. I only had to know where the first place I had to go. Everything that was numbered and told me where to go next. And I had those big outline things in them, you know. And, and I, I was ready. I wanted to do something for God. And I looked back at that and I look how how sincere I was in what I was doing, even though I didn't have much in, inside up here to know what I was doing, and how God must have looked at that. But at the same time, God looked at it saying, brother, for the first time in your life, you're really doing something, and I'm glad, but there's more to it. And I remember the first night I went there, I won two people to Christ. Oh, I was higher than a kite. I said, Billy Graham, look out. Here I come. I had visions of a big old bus going out of the road, Bob's evangelistic ministry, you know, and snowing, and I was ready to rock and roll. And I thought, this is the honest-to-God truth. As I was walking home that night, and this is the funny, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to see the really goofy conversations we had with God when we were young Christians. And unfortunately, we'll see some of the goofy ones we had as we were older Christians. But I remember walking that night, and I had my Bible under my arm, and Barb lived right around the corner from the fairground. And I was walking over to her house, and I was, the, I was so happy. I was so proud. I had, first, I had won my first two people to Christ. And like most young Christians, I, I got to the point where, you know, I was stupid. And I'm walking down there, and I'm saying to myself, this is the absolute conversation I had. You know what? Because everybody in that class that I was going to in that church really knew their Bibles. I was a new guy. But I came to the great conclusion to that night 
As I walked over to Barb's house, I said to my Bible under my arm, proud as I could be that I won people to Christ that night. My first souls won to Christ. And I said to myself, you know, I don't even, I don't think I have to worry about studying the Bible that deep. I think I'm just going to be a soul winner. And I'm just going to, and to me it sounded like a great plan. And I said to myself, I'm just going to win people to Christ. I'm going to save a lot of time studying all the deep things of the Bible like everybody else does. I'm going to just win people to Christ. And I walked into her house that night. I don't think I said anything to her, but I had a plan. And I was really happy. And I went back the next night. Bible in hand. Boy, I was ready to go. My little clipboard. And I went in there, you know, and down around here come a nice looking guy, you know. And I walked up and I said, sir, I said, we're doing a survey. Would you like to take a survey? And he said, well, sure. And I said, well, I asked him all the dumb questions first, you know. Then I got down to the punchline. And I was even getting the style down. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was flowing, you know, as they say. I was, and, I, and I come down through there and I said, do you know for sure if you die right now, you go to heaven? And he says, no, I don't know for sure. I said, I don't think you can know. And I said, well, would you like to know? And he smiled and he says, well, sure. Well, I said, right back here. You know, can't you just see me? I mean, you know me. Can't you just see me? Right back here, right this way to the kingdom. I could hear the angels singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. One more for Bob's belt. Ha, 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 ha. Come on in. Come on in. And he walks in there and he sits down and chairs like this. And I sit across from him and I open my Bible to that first place, the only one I knew. <laughs> you know, and I had it ready to go. And I said, now, and, and I asked him the first question. You know what he said to me? He said, what about Acts 2.38? And what I had snagged on my line, I thought was a guppy, a little bluegill. You know, tag them, bag them, put them in there, you know. I'll catch them, Lord cleans them, you know, how that goes. What I had that night was the joy of a witness. Yeah, that's what I said many years afterwards, even to this night. For the next 45 minutes, he kicked my behind up one end and down the other. He went through, we went through it all. Acts 2.38, and I had no idea. Acts 2.38, I thought that's what you had in your house. An Acts and a 2.38, so I don't know what it was. <laughs> and I'm down there, you know, and he's just beating me senseless. And I, you know, and that night when he was done with me, I was absolutely defeated. But it was a good defeat because God had burst my bubble. And I walked out of there that night making a new vow to God. And that new vow was that I had grown up a lot in 24 hours. And God had shown me my first great spiritual lesson. You can't do God's work without knowing His book. And I made my mind up that night, that'll never happen to me again. Now, I've learned my Bible and I've done had one other search in life. Every time we go back to Ohio to visit friends, I try to find that guy. <laughs> I look for him everywhere. Take out ads in the paper. Will the JW that waxed my tail in 1972 please call this number? My point is this. You've got to learn these things. Just going through the motions of what the Bible is without understanding how it works, it's going to get you in trouble. 
And that's why I like when I see some of you who are getting into these little scraps. People at work or this or that, you know, and you got to keep the right attitude about it. You understand what I'm saying. But there's nothing better than a, a sword drill to, to keep you sharp. And then, you know, you're, you're going to have to learn these things in time. And, and, and some of your new people, you're probably asking yourself, and, you know, I understand it. You're saying, you're probably, why did God allow passages like that to seem to contradict? I mean, why would he allow, is he God trying to trick us? Is he trying to make the Bible hard? I mean, what's the deal? And of course, today in this lesson, you're going to learn some great, not only about the book of Romans and how the righteousness of God is established, but hopefully you'll see how when you deal with these things and you come up against these things, the right way to deal with them. Now, there's a couple of things you want to see here. Now, I want to talk to you generally about the Bible itself first, and, and then we'll come back and look at this text. Now, you've heard me say this before, but it's a true saying, and I, it, it, it really is something that was profound in my life when I understood the concept. But you, you, it's, you've heard me say it before. The Bible is the only book in the world, when you begin to read it, that it begins to read you. The thing that sets the Bible apart from every other book on planet Earth is the Bible is a living book. It's alive. And because it's God's book, Bible says, in, and this is how I approach it, Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you receive the Word of God, you received it not, which you've heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now that's the bottom line. The Bible is the only book in the world that your attitude about that book is absolutely the determining factor of what you get in it or what you get out of it. And when you come to the Bible, uh, but you don't believe the Bible, then that's what you're going to get out of the Bible. When you come to the Bible and you believe the Bible is what God claimed it to be and what He said it to be, in fact, the Word of God, then that's when you're going to get something out of the Word of God. I, I have, the Bible is the only book in the world that, that, that reads everything in your heart. The moment you expose yourself to it, it's going down. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 down through there, that the Bible discerns the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Sitting here this morning, God really understands why you're here today. Sitting right here this morning, that Bible has already discerned deep down in your heart the real true motive of why you were here. As you go out and you work this week and you do what you do in your life and uh, you either take God with you or you don't, the Bible will determine in your heart. It'll discern your attitude of heart. That's why people don't like the Bible. See, you can fool me, you can fool your wife, or fool your husband, fool your mom or your dad or your friends or whoever. But you can't fool the Holy Spirit of God who resides in you in that book. And when the two spirits don't mind line up, there's problems. There's problems. And of course, you know, the Bible is the only book in the world that you have to have an absolute pure heart when you come to it in the sense of just believing whatever God tells you and accepting the Bible as the Word of God. I don't know everything in the Bible. And I guess if you look hard long enough and there's something I overlook, you could find a place in the Bible that you could throw at me that would seem to contradict. But you see, my approach to the Bible is this. The Bible is right and I'm wrong even when I don't understand it. I never take the position that the Bible's wrong. I'll take the position that I'm stupid. I'll take the position that I'm wrong. I'll take the position that I'm blind as a bat, but I'll never take the position that the Bible is wrong. The Bible is innocent and will 
not till it's proven guilty, but will never be proven guilty. If we don't have something that's absolute, then we don't have anything. And uh, that's, that's, that's what the Bible really does. And I have no preconceived ideas about the Bible. I am, if you ever sit down and talk to me at any length of time, you will find out that I'm the most open-minded person in the world. All I want is truth. All I want is truth. And I don't care what the truth is. If, God, if, the Bible, if the Bible taught me clearly and plainly that I would shave my head, get a robe, and, and walk around the rest of my life and be that for Jesus Christ, hey, I'd get a haircut this afternoon and get a robe tomorrow, and I'd be on my way. I don't care. I have no pet doctrines that I want to believe. And I think that's what separates people who come to the Bible with a pure heart versus someone that comes to the Bible with preconceived ideas. I had a number of years ago, I was preaching down in Alabama in a, in a church down there, and I held a Bible conference. And these people were, they were, they were great people. And uh, they, they, they were starving for the Word of God. And they had me down like eight days in a row. And I would have a, I'd have a meeting in the morning. I'd come back and preach an hour and a half in the evening. And then they'd want to have a Bible study for two and a half hours after that. We weren't getting out till 11, 30, 12 o'clock every night after I'd already preached and then hit it again in the morning. I mean, they were, they, when I got on the plane, I felt like somebody put a vacuum cleaner on my brain and sucked it out. I mean, I was, I was spent. But these people were absolutely hungry. But in every situation, you had the, you had the guys that were, the wolves that were circling the pack out there. And uh, we had a Bible study the first night. Guy never came back after that. But the first night after we preached, we had a Bible study, and, and somebody asked me about something in Genesis. I even forget what it was. I think it was the Gap or Genesis 6. I don't remember. And anyway, I laid the thing out from the Bible. Well, this guy challenged me on it. And, you know, and I told him, I said, you know what? I said, I would, I don't, I would just as much believe what you believe as what I believe. I don't care. I said, the problem I have, I says, I got places in the Bible that I cannot reconcile with what you're trying to tell me. And we went at it, and, and he was getting a little heated. And I, and I, and I thought to myself, What's the, what are you getting heated about? I mean, I don't, there's nothing in the Bible I believe that I'm going to get upset if you don't believe. I don't care. How does what you don't believe about the Bible affect me? Why would I get upset because you don't agree with me or I don't agree? Why would you get upset if I don't agree with you? If that wasn't something that your, is your pet deal, I don't care. And finally, the guy made the telltale statement. He had a buddy sitting there with him, and I was answering the question. Everybody was getting into it, and it was turning into a real fist fight. And I loved it. And this guy says, I heard this guy turning to the guy, he said, you know what? He says, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe. And that was the telling statement of where he was at. You know what that man had? He had a preconceived idea. He wanted to believe what he believed so desperately, he was willing to get upset about it. Now, there's a lot of things that I will get upset about, but whether you believe what I believe or not will not be one of them. I believe the Bible has standards for marriage. And I believe that if you don't have those standards, your marriage is going to go down the tube. And I don't believe if you don't do what's right with the Word of God, you're going to lose your marriage. Somebody says, well, I don't agree with that. Let's go get something to eat. I hear Arthur Bryant says, all you can eat today. I don't care. Do what you want to do. I believe the Bible has standards for raising your children. 
and you violate those children, the little kids down in the nursery, you violate those things now, when they grow up, they're going to give you all kinds of problems because you didn't do what was right in their life. And that's, you know what? And somebody says, well, I think we, we watch Dr. Spock or we watch this or we do that. Uh, Dr. Spock was on Star Trek. It was his dad. Anyway, <laughs> we watch this or we watch that or I read this. I don't care. It's, it's not about me. You know what? It doesn't bother me because I have no preconceived idea. Hey, I would love to speak in tongues. I would. I have no pet peeve against speaking in tongues. I'd love to speak in tongues. I'd be like Paul. I'd speak in more tongues than all of you. I don't have a problem. I think that'd be a neat thing. I'd love to, be, I'd love to heal. I'd love to have the power to, to heal. And the first thing I'd do is start plastic surgery on some of you. I'd fix some of those glaring things that you got. I'd love that. But I wouldn't limit it to here. And I wouldn't go get a tent someplace. No, 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 no. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be asking you to pay me to do it and then lock the doors that you don't get out till I get enough money and have you come up and heal. You know where I'd be? I wouldn't even be here. I'd be down children's mercy. That's where I'd be. You got that kind of power? What are you doing here? There's a burn war down there, a cancer war down there, little kids that are dying and have no chance in life. What in the world are you doing up here trying to move some bucks out of somebody's pocket and trying to get, go where their action is, man? You know where I'd be this morning if I could heal? Hey, I wish I did. You'd see me walking down the street with an obituary. I'd be hitting every funeral home. You want to make some conversions and believers out of people? Just walk in when their loved one's in their casket and say, Young man, arise! And he gets up and says, Boy, that was tough. Let's go. Well, they believe everything you want to say. You don't have to hide it in a tent or behind some building someplace. Or you, you, can, you, can, you just go out in the public. That's what Jesus did. I'm not against it. I just don't see any real in it. I'm not against anything. I'd like to believe anything. I don't, I don't have a preconceived idea about the Bible. I don't. My standard idea has been this. All in my life, and I've lived by this. You show me something that I teach that's wrong and show me from the Scriptures that it's wrong and show me the right way to do it, I'll drop whatever I believe, whatever I teach, whatever I have taught, whatever I have believed in 10 seconds, and I'll pick up the truth and go with it. You know why? I don't care what the truth is, from wearing a robe to raising the dead to healing the sick to doing this to doing that. I don't care what it is. I just want the truth. And to get the truth, you can have no preconceived ideas. If your attitude in your heart isn't... You know how young men get into, get into heresies? And you see it all the time. You, you watch it coming. And I can almost see it coming in some, some kid's life. It starts because of the fact that, and Kyle and I were talking about this last week, it starts in the fact that somebody starts believing what some man says over what the Bible says. He starts reading some man's book and quits reading the Bible. And man's concept becomes his concept, and suddenly, hey, you got people who believe in Calvinism today that are so fired up with Calvinism that they'll, they'll just go off the deep end arguing with somebody. You know why? Because they want to believe that so desperately. You know why I don't care? I'd buy it in a second if it was real. You cannot come to the Bible with a preconceived idea. Because you have to come to it and realizing that that's God's book. 
And in the light of what you have, when you look at this, then you've got to face Ezekiel chapter 14. Because when you come to the Bible with a preconceived idea, you know what Ezekiel chapter 14 says? Down through that whole chapter, down around verses 1, uh, uh, 1 through 5, it says this. It says that God took the nation of Israel who had already had preconceived ideas in their heart about who God was, what God was doing, and what they, God's plan was. And because they had preconceived ideas that didn't line up with God, and they wanted to believe what they wanted to believe instead of what God told them, God took them and deceived them with their own heart. In other words, God gave them a lie to believe. And the Bible says, I'll answer those people after the multitude of the idols in their heart. God, don't ever doubt it for a second. God will give you the lie to believe if you want to believe it. He'll make it look so real and so good and down the, right down the line if that's what you want. He will answer you after the multitude of your idols in your heart and He will snare you in your own heart. And if you don't learn that about God in that book, you better learn it pretty quick. And that's why you've got so many goofy people running around today believing everything that goes on in a thing and nothing really truth about it. God will give you a lie to believe if you really want one. And God took the house of Israel in their own heart. And their heart was already manifested what it wanted to believe. It wasn't based on truth. And of course, the problem today that we have, you have to know truth before you can base what you say or you do on truth. That's the problem. Now, here's the second thing. Now, that's the first reason why God puts contradictions in there, or so-called contradictions. He wants to check your heart. That Bible's a meter reader. He wants to read your heart. He wants to put something in there that looks like it doesn't match, or looks like it's different, or looks like it's wrong, and He wants to see and read your heart what you think about it. He wants to see if you're going to let some outside influence take from you what the Word of God gives you. That's the first thing He does. Now, the second thing these so-called contradictions do for us, it's a great way that God teaches us truth. I've never seen in the Bible a so-called contradiction that didn't lay out some absolute truth that was just magnified by the so-called contradiction. This is one of them. This is one of them. And like I said before, my stand is the Bible's always right and I'm wrong. You have some people that says the Bible's always wrong and I'm right. My stand is the Bible's right and I'm wrong. If I can't figure it out, the problem with me, not with the Bible. Now, in Bible study, this is called contrast. The things that don't look right. Like you read Romans chapter 4 and it says Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. You go to James 2 and it says he was justified by works. It doesn't look right. And like I said, in Bible study, this is called contrast. Two things that contrast each other. Here's how it works. When you study your Bible, if you're a Bible student, when you study your Bible, uh, you, you're going to look for things in your Bible that don't seem to fit. And then you're going to ask yourself, why is that? You're going to understand, as I've already laid out, the Bible is the Word of God. There are no contradictions in it. God has put it in that way to either snare somebody with a bad attitude of heart, because we already know now that He'll give you the lie to believe if you really want one, and He'll take man in His own heart. Or God's trying to show you some great truth that is masked in this so-called contradiction. But you have to go in realizing that the book is God's book, and there are no contradictions in it. But you ask yourself, I remember when I started out. I remember when I started reading the Bible and I started comparing Scripture with Scripture i got a list of them in my old Bible. 
things I went through. But you ask why. When you see these things, ask why. Ask why Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 seemed to contradict Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Ask yourself why does Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 seem to contradiction first, contradict 1 Peter 5, 7. Ask yourself why Acts 2, 38 seems to contradict Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Ask yourself why Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 10 seem to contradict 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, 12 and 13. Ask yourself why 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 seems to contradict 1 John chapter 1, verse 10. Ask yourself why Mark 16, 16 seems to contradict 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Ask yourself why Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, where we're at now, seems to contradict James chapter 2, verse 21. That's how you learn the Bible. They're in there for a reason. One, they're in there to snare men in their heart who come to the Bible with a preconceived idea about God's Word and God's truth. Two, for you and I who get past that, God always has one of the most incredible truths laid out that you can glean from it, and the answer is found in the apparent contradiction. When you study the Bible, you're not looking for mistakes or contradictions in the Bible, but you are seeking, here it comes, you are seeking to reconcile passages that don't seem to line up with other places in the Bible. And you do that by comparing Scripture with Scripture and rightly dividing the Word of Truth and set the right context. This is called, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, as I just mentioned, this is called rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Studying to show thyself approved to God and work would not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Note of the words, study to show thyself approved unto God. You got nothing to prove to me. I mean, I may have some expectations for you if you're going to be a leader in this church because the church has some in the Bible. But when it comes to studying the Bible, you got nothing to prove to me. Nothing to prove to me. Your approval rating on your study is to God. You, you flunk a test in institute. And people come up all the time, well, I'm really sorry. You don't need to apologize to me. Somebody says, well, I feel like I let you down. You didn't let me down. I love you. Let's go eat. You didn't let me down. You let God down. You just studied to show thyself approved unto him, not Bob Alexander. You didn't let me down at all. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that called you. He's the one that gave you the book. I just try to help you figure it out. You didn't let me down because you quit. Or you got a better deal? You didn't let me down. You let him down. That's the problem. And you, 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 you got to study the show thyself approved unto God. A workman, it's going to take work. You're going to have to dedicate some time in your life for that work. Working in the Word of God, learning that Bible. That necessitates you're going to have to prioritize your lives. In necessitates you're going to have to decide, what do I want to do? Do I want to do this, or do I really want to learn the book? That's what it comes down to. You ain't got nothing to prove to me, but you do have it to prove to him. And the only way you do that is by rightly dividing the word of truth. See, the key is this. Now, if you don't hear nothing else I say today, hear this. The key you're trying to accomplish by rightly dividing the Bible and studying to show thyself approved, first you recognize that there are places in the passage that seem not to go together. At, at a first glance, they are not reconcilable. One says this, one says this, they obviously seem to contradict. 
Now, we know there's no contradictions. And we know that the Bible has no errors in it. The key is, you are to study to show thyself approved as a workman which needeth not to be ashamed. And that needeth not to be ashamed is a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, here's what that means. Here's the key. If you don't hear nothing else I say, hear this. You and I are to study to find out why both verses, Romans chapter 4, James chapter 2, both verses, ah, Matthew 5, Romans 3, Hebrews 10, 1 Peter 5, Acts 2, Romans 10, Matthew 25, 1 John 5, 1 John 3, both verses. Your job and my job is to study, to show thyself approved, that both verses are correct and mean what they say the way they read, even though they appear to be in contradiction. Now, I'm going to say that again. Your job and my job is to study to find out why both verses in both cases are absolutely correct. And they mean what they say the way they read, even though they appear to contradict. You study to put each verse in its right context. In the right Bible framework to teach the doctrine that God intended the verse to teach without changing anything, without going back to the Greek, altering the text, trying to jam, jam two verses together to try to make it work something. Now that's what's called serious Bible study. Serious Bible study is studying to show thyself approved. Being able to get into the Bible where you face these situations because they're going to be thrown at you. That you get to the place that you know more about the Bible than any other thing. You see, here's the problem we all have. Now, I don't have this problem. I had it at one time. I fixed it in my life. My job is to get it fixed in yours. But here's the problem you got, most of you. Now, I don't know. We all do different things for a living. And you all have expertises. You all do. Some of you do things really well. I mean, I, Bubba is the best tile layer in all the world. If you ever saw his work, he did, when I went to Rome, I thought, sure, he did the tile Mona Lisa work there in the Sistine Chapel. He's a great tile man. Great. Steve can fix anything that goes wrong in your house, your yard, your dog, your thing, whatever the case may be. Lightning takes your roof off, he'll have it up by tomorrow. Whatever needs to be done. Oh, he don't do it. He's got guys he tells to do it. But he does it. <laughs> got great expertise. Jimmy can listen to your car. I, I watch you people. Jimmy, there's something wrong with my car. You know what Jimmy does? Jimmy goes out and says, and I love this, take the hood up. Start it up. Your timing chain's off. Whoa. I love that. I love the guys that when a lady is stuck along the freeway, oh, I love this, and she, or in a parking lot, and, and she can't get it going, and she's got three little kids in the back and all of her groceries, that uh, the man walks over, and he says, what's the matter, little lady? My car won't start. <laughs> Let me pop the hood. And this is the part I love. Try to turn it over. Uh-huh. I love this part. You have a screwdriver? Thank you. Big long. He'll take that screwdriver, stick it down in that engine somewhere, and do something with it, and then he leans around the hood. 
Try it now. And it starts. I tried that one time. I burned the screwdriver in half. The fan belt cut my finger off. And I almost got killed by the handle flying by my head. I don't know what you touch, but I'm impressed. I don't know what you do to stick it down there and make that thing turn over. And then she looks at you like, oh, my hero. You know, you are to me too. Mr. Screwdriver Man. Some of you are great at what you do. Brian Christie can figure out a sound system, whatever you can do. I'm so stupid. I, you know what? My VCR went out last week. I hate to tell stories on myself, but they're good stories. My VCR broke last week. So me, Mr. Fix-It-All Man, I mean, when I, 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 don't, I don't have a lot of, I have, lots, I have patience. My wife will tell you, I have more. She says to you, I don't know how will you get your patience for people. I, she said, you're the most patient man with people, but I, that's, that's where it ends. I'm not patient with my dogs. I'm not patient with things that I have. My way to fix it is a hammer. And if that don't work, a bigger hammer, okay? And my VCR broke. And I know I got to go buy a new one. And that ticked me off to begin with, you know, because they don't fix things. That, don't let me get it going on that. I'll preach on VSR. And so, I, me, I know what I got. So I, that morning, I got me a blank sheet of paper, pulled my TV out, and made a complete diagram of the back of, what are you laughing at, Sandy? <laughs> All right, you come over and hook it up then. <laughs> I, I made a diagram of the complete back of my field. And every plug and in the back of the cable box, in the back of the TV box, and, and, and made a diagram where everything fit in. And I'm thinking to myself, it's not that bad. So I go get it, bring it home, take it out of the box, take the old one back in and put it up there. And the first thing I realized, none of the plugs are the same as the one I just got. So then I go by the process of elimination. I'll just start here. I, this one is the video. It's going to give me a picture. So I just start going in each one, you know. Nothing. Listen to the audio. Maybe I'll get some sound. Nothing. Well, where's the antenna go? I got more wires back there than I know what to do with. I can't figure it out. I called Danny. You know, I mean, I said to Danny, I said, I'm really sorry, Danny. I said, you know what? I can figure out the eternal degrees of, de of everything in the Bible, but I can't put a VCR back together. He comes over, comes down there. He looks one thing at it, and he says, hey, you know what? He says, you got this wire? And I said, no, I got a screwdriver. <laughs> I was going to try that next. I said, well, I went up and found the wire. He plugged that right in thing there, and he said, there it is. I'm impressed with stuff like that. Some of you do a good job. Some of you are great fishermen. You go out and get your lemon all the time. Some of you are great hunters. I mean, you go out there, and you know what? When it's turkey season, it doesn't matter. You get your turkey. Deer season, you get your turkey. I mean, get your deer. <laughs> well, that's the way it works. You always see deer in turkey season and see turkey in deer season, but you never see them in the right season. Yeah, I got some of it figured out. And you're, you're incredible. I see you guys walking in the woods. You got antlers hanging down on your, on your thing. You know what they do with antlers? They rattle them out in the woods. And supposedly that means two deer are fighting over a female deer, so they all come and watch. And then you shoot the biggest one that shows up. <laughs> now, my luck, I'd take two antlers out there. I, a deer would think I was a deer, have the antlers, and he'd gore me to death, and I'd be in the thing, see? I mean, that's just the way it goes. I don't do those things. But I'm telling you that my job is this. And you all do things well. And some of you have got to this point. But here's what my job is. Here's what I've already done. I don't know, I don't know anything. I don't know how to fix a car. When my lawnmower stops in the middle of cutting the yard, I'm ready to sell it. Guy said to me one time when I took my car in, he says, you got a short circuit. And I said, how much is that going to cost to make it longer? 
I don't know how to fix anything. I'm good at breaking things. I, I, I don't, you gotta, when I trim my yard, my bushes, oh man, I mean, it, looks like, it looks like a drunk did it. I mean, I can't get it straight. And I like it. Somebody said, somebody said, well, your bushes, I said, that's the angle look, man. What's your problem? That's the new thing today. What's your deal, man? My job is to get you whatever you know well, whatever you do for a living. My job is to get you to know the Bible better than what you do for a living. That's my job. I don't know anything better than the Bible. And I don't know a lot about the Bible. Shows you where I'm at. But I don't know anything better than the Bible. I gave it up a long time ago. I realized that, you know what, nothing else really matters. I know you've got to make a living. I know you've got to do it. But you know what? It's called priorities. And my job is to get you whatever you do. And I'm sure you're good at it. My job is to get you just better in the Bible than you are at what you do for a living. I mean, the meticulous things that some of you do, some of the way it done, some of you done it, that's the same thing I want you to be able to do with the Bible. When you, some of you people do a job, do this, paint a room, paint a house, do whatever you fix, whatever you do, whatever you put together, it looks immaculate in what you do. Well, you know what? I want that same kind of quality in your Bible in time. And it takes some time to get there. That's what you've got to do. That's what a serious Bible study is all about. For a serious Bible student. I'm not a Bible scholar. I've never claimed to be, nor will I ever claim to be. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm a Bible student. A Bible student never graduates. He continues to learn and adds to what he knows. A Bible scholar thinks he knows it all and there's nothing else he can be taught. But that's where you've got to get in your life, and that's my job. You study to put each verse in the right context within the Bible framework to teach the doctrine that God intended the verse to teach without changing anything. In other words, you go in and you see a house that's in a mess and you know how to fix it. You see a, 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 a shrubbery that's in a mess, you know how to fix it. You see a car won't run, you know how to fix it. You see this, you see that, you know how to fix it. You see a problem in your life, in somebody else's life, or an issue in the world, or something you got to deal with, and you automatically see how to fix it. That's the key. That's the key. That's the key. You'll need to find another thing you'll learn that when you come to the Bible in serious Bible study, putting things together like this, not all words mean the same thing in every context. You realized when you find the word saved in the Bible, it doesn't always mean saved from your sins and going to hell, going to heaven instead of hell. You realize when you find, when you, you, some of these words have two or more definitions in it. When you find the word temptation in the Bible, it always doesn't mean in a bad sense that you're tempted with some sin. You read the word damnation in the Bible, you realize that damnation in the Bible, every time you find it, doesn't mean a man going to hell. There's two kinds of damnation. The word perfect. You know every time you find the word perfect in the Bible, it doesn't mean sinless perfection. How about the law? You'll find in the book of Romans, he uses the law four different ways. There's a law, which is the Old Testament, the ten. There's a law, which is the first five books of the Bible. There's a law, a law of sin, and there's a law under sin and death. They're all different. That's serious Bible study by rightly dividing the word of truth, by getting to know the Bible better than you do anything else in life. I'm not saying quit your day job. I'm saying if you put the same kind of time and effort into learning what the Bible says and how to rightly divide it as you have done to get where you're at and what you do in your career, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
Take the word dead. You know there's four kinds of dead in the Bible? Four kinds of dead. There's real dead people, the ones in the cemeteries. Then there's unsaved people who are dead in trespasses of sin. And then there's saved people who are dead to Christ. And then there's saved people who are dead in Christ. Do you know the difference between somebody dead in Christ and somebody dead to Christ? Four different kinds of dead in your Bible. Now, this is why, very frankly, most of God's people will never, will never learn the Bible. You see, it's just like Institute. It sounds out really good when it starts, but then when the work gets in, it's like Thursday night Bible night. It's like starting a church. Everybody gets excited, but then as time goes on, things take over and become more important. And that's why God's people never make it. You see it in everything. I don't care what it is. And that's why most of God's people will never learn the Bible for themselves. They'll always be dependent on somebody else for learning the Bible. And that's a very dangerous situation. You know what? One of the things I hated about traveling around the world over the years that I've been around the world, and I've been many, many places, and there are certain kind of people who have abilities to learn languages. I am not one of those people. Certain people who just are adapted that they learn languages, other languages very easily and very quickly. I'm not one. I'm not one. But what I hated about going to like Central America, South America, what I hated about going places that in Europe that you always had to be dependent on somebody else to speak for you. And that always made me feel very vulnerable. It always made me feel like I, you know, in human nature, you know, they're saying something and you're saying to yourself, are you, are you people over there, you know, you, I would just preach, you know, and, and there'd be two women over here speaking in Spanish and they would be talking back and forth in Spanish and they'd be laughing. And I'm, what do you think? laughing at my message okay now they're probably told each other a joke about their dumb husbands and they're laughing at that but because i'm not in the conversation what are you going to do i'm already paranoid i said where's the banjo and i hope that was the bathroom when the guy brought me a banjo i knew i was in trouble but it, you, you're very helpless you're in a situation where you can't communicate. You're dependent on somebody else. You would go to a restaurant. I, I tried it one time. Oh, I can handle this. You ought to see what I got. Whatever it was, it was looking back, and I don't think it was dead. You can't even order off a menu. I mean, in some of the places, for us stupid Americans, when you go to a McDonald's, they have the sign. You just say, everybody knows Big Mac. But how many years can you eat on Big Macs? Try to win and order a steak. Try to win and order spaghetti. Try to win and order something that you, that you really, you can't. You're always dependent on somebody else because you don't know the language and the culture that you're in. Therefore, you're dependent and therefore you're vulnerable. You know what? With the Bible, it's the same way. To you learn, to learn that Bible on your own, you've got to be dependent on somebody else and that makes you vulnerable. That's why some of you have the problems you have. Your whole life is spent around running from person to person to person to ask them what they think you ought to do. And then wonder why your life's in a mess. Your whole life is built on the fact that you can't figure it out for yourself. And, and hopefully you're going to roll the dice just like I did. And hopefully if I ask this lady to order me this up here and point to it, who understands a little bit of broken English, she's going to order the right thing. Your deal is that you're hoping that you're rolling a dice that whoever you tell your problems to, whoever you ask your help from, they're going to give you the right thing. And in here, you're probably safe, maybe. But out there, you're not. 
because there's a lot of things flowing around there and you need to learn how to use the Bible for yourself otherwise you're going to be vulnerable all your life and that's a terrible feeling you need to know why you believe what you believe you need to know how to work that Bible you need to know and that's why the moment you come in and you get saved if you want to be discipled we'll bring you up that we'll bring you through the books of the Bible we'll have everything you need that you can become self-sufficient with it yourself but I'm telling you You've got to come to the point where you are not vulnerable anymore, that you know what you believe and know how to make that Bible work for you, and you understand the things that I'm talking about this morning. Now, this is, this, is a, uh, this is a great example here in this passage. This discrepancy here that we've got here is a great example of what I'm talking about this morning, a good lesson from the Bible student, uh, whoever you may be, uh, of, uh, of taking this example and looking at it and seeing how the here's a passage where we come to Romans we already know Romans is justification by faith and yet we get thrown a verse in a flyer verse comes in somebody throws at us put yourself in the situation you're discipling somebody I'm sick some night you're teaching Bible study or you're out someplace and, and you're out there and somebody says hey would you start a Bible study for us at work we'd like to I got five or six people and you say yeah and you think they're all friendly people till you get in there and then you realize that somebody put a target on your back and they're gonna try to whack you in front of everybody think it won't happen I guarantee you it'll happen imagine yourself faced with this issue now the first thing you want to do in any established situation and this is here we're going to use this one but it's true of everyone these are you take one you do them all the same way the first thing you got to do is you got to you got to establish a context now let me just say this to you when it comes to these so-called contradictions here's a second thing you want to hear if you don't hear anything else the answer will always lie in the context find the context you've got the answer you don't have to look any farther than that that'll save you a lot of time the first thing you want to do is establish a context for the past for both passages and of course we've got a contradiction or a so-called contradiction here between chapter Romans 4 1 through 5 which says he was saved by faith and J, uh, in James chapter 2 with 21 22 and 23 which says he was saved by works or works was involved now we we'll look at Romans chapter 4 come back to Romans chapter 4 and I'll show you how we get our context I want you to see this because you're gonna have to learn this you can't be like me the day I got right with God and went to the Stark County Fair. You can't just say in life, I'm just going to win people to Christ and do the basics. It ain't going to work for you. God wants to put you in situations where you are, you are up against it all by yourself. He wants to make you a cut above the rest. He wants to train you harder, train you longer, train you faster, and give you more insight that you can take it, that he can put you in any given situation in this city or around this country or around the world and know you'll stand fast because you know what you believe. Not flying all over the paper. Now let's get the context here. Romans chapter 4. Uh, let's read 1, 2, and 3 again. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. I explained what that verse meant a minute ago. Now look at verse 3. For what saith the Scriptures? Now here comes your context. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, verse 3 says, What saith the Scripture? And then he gives you the context of where that is found. That context is in Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. And that quote in Genesis chapter 15 that he quotes in verse 3 is the day that Abraham got God's righteousness by believing what God said about his seed and what God said about the stars. 
And if you go back and you read that passage, you won't find any works involved whatsoever. So when the first thing we do is find the context of chapter Romans chapter 4, verse 3, and we now know it's Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. That's the day he got God's righteousness, and he nothing works about it. He simply believed what God said, and the Bible says it was counted to him for righteousness. All right? Now let's look at the next thing, James chapter 2. Next context. See, such, some people, because they got the preconceived ideas, they're in such a hurry to prove what they believe, they lose the ability to read. Now look at James chapter 2 and set the context here. Pick it up in verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without work is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? All right, there's your context. The first context over there in uh, Romans chapter 4, the context of that is uh, Genesis chapter 15. Second context you've got down here is Genesis chapter 22. You know how many years are between Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter and James and Genesis chapter 22? See, he offers up Isaac. Genesis chapter 15 is where he believes God and it was counting him to righteousness. Genesis chapter 22 is when he offered up Isaac. Romans 4 is talking about the context of Genesis chapter 15. James chapter 2 talking about the context of Genesis chapter 22. You know how much time between the two? 21 years. 21 years. See, the first thing you did, you established the context. They're not the same event. They're not the same event. Hello, there's 21 years between these two events. You're going to tell me that he got saved in Genesis chapter 15 when he believed God's righteousness, and then he got saved again in James chapter 2? They're not the same events. But like I said, sometimes you want to prove your point so bad you lose your ability to read sixth grade English. Here's what you got. Abraham was saved. He got God's righteousness in Genesis chapter 15 by faith without works. Then through the process of 21 years, look at verse 22 in James chapter 2. Seeing thou faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. You know what he did for those 21 years? He perfected his faith. You ever study the life of Abraham? He starts out after he gets God's rights in Genesis chapter 15. He can't believe God for anything. God says, I'm going to give you a seed. He was 90-some years old. His wife was 80-some years old. You just don't have kids at that age normally. I understand his skepticism. Sarah laughed. So when they named the boy, they named him, they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And the Bible says that, that he, he couldn't believe that. He had a hard time believing what God said. He just got saved, but he couldn't believe what God told him about seed. So what did he do? He listened to his wife, and he went and took Hagar, entered into her, and had a seed through the wrong line, and brought him on Ishmael, and thought he could fix it. How many times have we done that in our life? How many times have we got saved and we see what God wants us to do, but we, because we can't trust God, oh, whatever reason, we're afraid, we don't understand, we don't know, we don't come to church, we don't do this, we don't grow, but we make a dumb mistake in our life and it costs us a lot. That's what he did. If you studied his life, and we're going to study his life in depth here in a couple of weeks, you're going to find that he goes through a process. And that process is one where he makes some mistakes. God keeps coming back and dealing with him. And through the process of 21 years, 
Romans chapter 4 says he was justified by faith when he believed what God said, and that's the day he got God's righteousness. 21 years later, he had perfected his faith, and now he believed God so much that when God, back here, he couldn't even believe God what told him about his seed. Right now, some of you can't believe what God tells you about your, about your own personal life. Right now, some of you, God can't, you can't believe what God tells you about your marriage. Right now, some of you can't believe what God tells you about your kids. Right now, some of you can't believe what God says about your job or what your circumstances or the problem you're going through. If you work at perfecting your faith, and you can do it a lot quicker than 21 years, but if you work at perfecting your faith, you'll come to that point like he did, that the works that he was doing justified his faith. And that's why the Bible says work without faith is dead. We'll talk about that in a moment. Abraham was saved and got God's righteousness in Genesis chapter 15 by faith without works. Through the process of 21 years, he perfected his faith by what he did. You know what you have here is a great truth. I don't know if you're grasping it coming out of this so-called contradiction or not, but here's what it is. And this is going to be a rough one for some of you. The only proof you have you're saved is two things. It's certainly not what you say. I, have, I don't believe anything anybody tells me anymore. Somebody says, well, I'm a Christian, then why do you live the way you live? Somebody says, well, I'm saved. Well, where were you, what were you doing where you were at last night? Somebody says, well, I'm a child of God, then why do you do the ungodly things that the world does? I can't go by that. You're not saved because you got the right Bible. You're not saved because you got a big Bible. You're not even saved just because you know the Bible. Those are all things that the average person goes by. Boy, he sure knows the Bible. And that means what again? You know, everything is relative to a reference point in life. Guy says to me, well, he's a good man. A guy was talking about another pastor one time to me, and he said, well, he's a really good man. And I said, compared to who? Adolf Hitler? See, it's all relative to your point of reference. Well, you really did a good job compared to what? Those statements mean nothing without a point of reference. And the fact that you say you're saved means absolutely squat without a point of reference. Now, what you've got in this contradiction in this great lesson, once you get past how God deals with, a, with people with the wrong attitude of heart, the great lesson you got here is what God, is what God looks for and what you got that is your reference point. And it's not the fact of what you say. It's not the fact that you got the right Bible or even what you know about the Bible. The only proof that you have that you're saved is two things. And I'm sorry if this offends some of you, but you know what? I don't know what to do with it. The only real proof you have that you're saved is two things. One is what has changed about you when you got saved. That's it. Don't tell me you're saved and still do the things the world does. Don't tell me you're saved and still be party to all of that. What's different? What changed about you the moment you got off your knees and walked into the newness of life? What changed about you? And the second thing, now that you've changed, what are you doing for God? What's your works? What's your works? If I got sick next week and, and I couldn't preach because you... 
Now, I know you've been around here a year or so, but some of you are around five years now. Could you? Could you carry the ball? If I got somebody that's got problems, do I have the confidence in you that I know that you could do it? What do you do for God? What's your purpose here this morning? Like the person last couple, of, I told you last week, but a while back, person said, well, you know, we're going to leave the church. And I said, okay. Well, I can't think of anything that has to change or I have to cover if you're not here. You know why? You don't do anything. We just take your seat. It isn't about what you say, ladies and gentlemen. It isn't about having the right Bible or what you know about the Bible. What changed about you the day you got saved? And what are you doing for God now that you are? I told you last week, this church strives to make a difference in your life. Everything I do is for one purpose, to make you better at that Bible than anything else you do in life. I may not always do it right, I may fail sometimes, but that's my motive and that's my goal, right or wrong. My job is to make sure this church makes a difference in your life. Your job is to make sure your life makes a difference in this church. Only two things you got. And this is the great truth that comes out of this. Abraham got saved in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 22, it shows that now he has perfected his faith. And now his works show it. He's perfected himself. He was just like we all were the day he got saved with God. He couldn't believe God either. But through a process of time in his life, he came to the place where he could give God the very thing that he loved the most. And I'm just going to say this right now. God will, if you don't give it to him on your own, write it down. Write it down. You don't give it to him on his own, God will always test you with the thing you love the most. That's his nature. You know why? Because he wants you to love him the most. And rightly so. Rightly so. In Genesis chapter 15 and 16, you can't even believe God for the promised seed. And gets into the mess with Hagar producing Ishmael. In Genesis chapter 22, he believes so God so much, he just puts the kid down on the altar and takes the very knife in his hand. And if God wouldn't have stopped him, he'd have killed him. His faith was perfected by the works that he did. God said one time, he said in the Gospels, he says, if, you, if you be faithful over the little things, I'll make you rule over the many. You know how you get to that place where you can be like that with, with God like Abraham was? You begin to do something for God. Anything. Step out by faith. Protect, let God take you and use you and mold you and, per, and perfect you. Perfecting your faith is a great key in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here it comes, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Your perfecting is for the work of God. Two types of works in the Bible. Romans 4 is talking about the work that man says you've got to do to get saved, which we know doesn't exist. James 2 talks about after you're saved, a process that you prove your faith by the works that you do. Hence, verse 20, faith without works is dead. 
Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us by washing and regeneration and by renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's the, that's the verse that tells you that works can't save you. But what works do, it's the only proof you have that you've really been saved. I don't know what to tell you. I wish it was different. I wish I could say just because you say you're saved, that means something. Look around the world. Everybody claims to be a Christian. Everybody. Are they? It's not what you say. That it, it, what you say. It's not what you have the right Bible or even what you know about the Bible. What really, what really is the proof that you have been saved is what changed about you today. What old habits have you given up? What old habits are you trying to give up? What are you saying? I am not going to do that anymore because I want God to use me. And then what are you doing for God? We got people in this church been here for almost four or five years. You know what? They do nothing more now than they did when they walked in. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I got some things stirring in my heart that I don't know how to really get out, and I'm even hesitating to say it because I don't want to say something stupid. Well, that's easy for you to say, but I, can't, I don't know that I can, I can do that. You know what I like to do? Because I know what happened. We're five years into this thing right now, and everybody's happy with what you have. You get the best Bible in the world, if you don't mind me saying that. You get, you get everything you want. You get an hour of my time every week. And now you come to the point where what else is there, see? What else is there? And uh, you, this is where the, the little things where you have it so good, you start to pick on the little knick-knack things that don't mean anything. You know what I'm really contemplating doing? I ain't decided if I'm going to do this yet. You know what I'm really contemplating doing? I'm really contemplating doing one week just telling everybody this Sunday, you know what? If you've been in this church for a year or less, you come next Sunday. I'm going to minister to you. Everybody else, go find some place to go next week. Take all you young people who have been here for six months, a year, give you that break. Everybody else, go, go find another church next week. Go find another place. Go in when the pastor says, now who are you? You sell him. Be honest with him. My pastor sent me here because uh, he wants me to look, check your church out. Maybe I want to go here. Do all, you, got, you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to find a place that you think you might be better in. I'm serious. I'd rather have 20 of you that were dedicated to that book than 150 of you that just want to play games. Now that sounds cruel, doesn't it? But that's where I'm at. It won't sound so cruel with the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm not really worried about what you think anyhow. Because sometimes, sometimes we get spoiled. Sometimes we get satisfied. Sometimes we get so much good stuff, as the Bible says, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. You get so much Bible, so much this, so much that, and you sit around like a pig in grease in a frying pan, and you just boil and the fat comes off, and nothing ever gets done. You know what you need to do? You need to go out there and find you another church for a week and just see if they'll do you what you get here. And then the next week, who wants to come back? Come on back. And we'll, we'll figure it out from there. I'll tell you what. The times are too tough. The urgency of the hour is too great to keep on playing this game that I'm going to go to old paths, but I'm not really going to get in or get out. I won't tell you what the second thing I'm thinking about because I just... But that's all we got. It's all we got. And I know how churches are. I've been in them all my life. 
And this one is no different than anybody else. You come to the place where you, you come up in this church and you, you get a little responsibility and you know what? And you just think, well, and it doesn't mean anything to you. You don't, you don't do what you're supposed to do with it. You're supposed to be your leader, but you know what? All stuff kind of stuff goes on and you just stand by and watch. You know why? Because you're gutless. That's why. You're gutless. You won't stand up for what's right. You won't stand up for God. You won't stand up for this church. You just are gutless. I don't know what to tell you. It isn't about what you say. It isn't about, it's about what has changed about you and how you have perfecting your faith. The first thing I do when I took a church, wherever I was, is began to, two things. One, build a core base of leaders. Because that is crucial. And the next thing I do is try to train my replacement. And look for a guy or a couple of guys that down the line that somebody said, if something happens to me, the church won't be left in a lurch. But paramount, you have to begin to take and build a core of leadership. But let me tell you something. Leadership isn't about getting a name tag that says, I'm Bob Alexander, or I'm a leader. It's what's changed about you, and it's about what you do for him. It's about how you prioritize the rest of your life. It's how you give to this world. This church makes an impact in your life. You ought to make an impact in this church. I hate the fact that on Thursday night, if somebody wants to get saved, I got to use I got to use three or four people. You know what my worst fear is? My worst fear out there that those people aren't going to be there that night, and I'm going to left with two, three people want to get saved, and nobody I have the confidence in that can win them to Christ. Now, why is that? Why is that? Oh, if I wanted to have them, send them out and have a beer with you, I just send them to your house. You could have one there. Or you could go out and maybe have a cigarette together. Or maybe go smoke some dope. But when it comes down to the Bible of winning the Christ, I am limited. I don't like that. I'm vulnerable. After you're saved, a process that you begin to prove your faith by your works. It's all you got. Four different kinds of dead people in the Bible. Four different kinds. We got probably today three different kinds in here, probably two for sure. You have dead people who are unsaved. Maybe we have somebody here this morning that's unsaved. I don't know. Dead people. You're unsaved. You're dead because you're dead in the trespasses of your sin. We have real dead people. They're in a funeral home today. They're in the graveyard. Then the next two dead people are Christians. You have Christians that the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 that are dead and their life is hid in Christ. Then you have a lot of God's people who are dead, not in Christ, but they're dead to Christ. Say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about faith without works is dead. I'm talking. Did you ever look at this thing? Did you ever look at this thing? It says down here in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. 
How was that scripture fulfilled? How was that scripture fulfilled? You go back and look at Genesis, uh, Romans chapter 4, and then go back to Genesis chapter 15. What part, what part of Romans, uh, James chapter 2 here, verse 23, what part is not found back in Genesis? I'll tell you what part. The part about being God's friend. You know why? That was the fulfillment of the scripture. Faith plus nothing. And then you begin a process of doing something with God as you change your life from what you once were to what God wants you to be. And through the act of, of perfecting your faith, you become God's friend and fulfill your life in Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of that verse wasn't the fact that he got saved when he got God's righteousness. It was he became God's friend. And that, my friend, is a process. But it ain't a process you can bring your beer with or your packs of cigarettes or your dope or your this or your that. It's not like that. You have to get rid of those things and make up your mind. You're going to dedicate your life to what God wants you to be. And the scripture was fulfilled. The Christian that's dead to Christ or dead in Christ is someone that his life is hid in Christ. He's someone that comes to the point where he, he's followed what God has said. He's gotten saved and he's begun to put through the process of his life. The word, and I'm going to tell you right now, you will never, never fix whatever issues you have in your life till you get in that book. You are wasting your time thinking you can fix it without getting in that book and getting the help that you need. And then learning how to get it for yourself in time. You're wasting your time. A Christian who is dead in Christ, as Colossians 3, 3 says, is somebody that is saved. And they're in Christ. And everything they do is in Christ. Every decision they make is in Christ. Every place they go is in Christ. Every person they deal with, every relationship they form, it's in Christ. And Christ is in this book. Then you have some of God's people who are dead to Christ. Or you're saved. But you couldn't hear God speak to you if your life depended on it. Your life is so full of your stuff, your things, what you want to do, how you want to do it, the way you want to do it. You're so, you got yourself so fixed in your mind that it's your way and you're going to have what you want. Forget what God wants. God saved you. God shed you. His blood for you. He put you in heaven. And now you have taken it for granted and said, thank you. You use God as a fire escape. Where you have God's people that are dead in Christ, you have a lot of God's people that are dead to Christ. The Holy Spirit of God couldn't move them. Preachers can't use them. They're dissatisfied. They come to churches like this week after week after week. Nothing changes in their life. Nothing impacts them. Nothing moves them. Nothing changes them. They're all about them. What you want. What you want to do. I'd rather have 20 Christians, 20 Christians who were dead in Christ than 150 that were dead to Christ. Because it all comes down to the end of the day, my friend, what changed about you and what you do for God. See how that thing works? There's no contradiction in the two passages. He perfected his faith to a point he could give God Isaac and God became God's friend. He believed God in Genesis chapter 15 and it was counted to him for righteousness without works. But through a process of perfecting his works, he fulfilled that scripture and he became God's friend. You know how you become God's friend? 
not coming to church. You don't become God's friend because you, you drop a little money in the offering place. You become God's friend because you dedicate yourself, knowing He's holy, knowing you're not, getting out of your life those things that make, don't make you like Him. Abraham was saved and got God's right in Genesis chapter 15. And for 21 years, he goes through the process of learning to trust God. And you may be saying to yourself today, well, you know what? He had 21 years. I don't even ask this three or four. Let me tell you something, pal. You know anything about the Bible and you bothered to come the last couple of Thursday nights? You don't have 21 years. If I were you this afternoon, the first thing I'd do after church, I wouldn't even stop to eat. I'd go down to Barnes & Noble or one of these books and get into the Cliff Notes section and find a book in the Cliff Notes that says how to be God's friend in a hurry. James chapter 2, he now has come to the point in his life where he, he can trust God with what he loves most, Isaac. And through this act of giving Isaac to God, which is a work, that was perfected from the very beginning when he could not believe what God said about, about Ishmael. Abraham now shows the inner faith that produced the right work and gave him the relationship with God that made him God's friend. You see, inner, the right faith will always produce the right work. And by doing so, he fulfilled the scriptures. The end result of his getting God's righteousness was becoming God's friend. And I want to tell you, when we study his life here in a couple of weeks or whenever we get there, Abraham is the greatest example of that in the Bible. And the scripture was fulfilled. Let me ask you a question. What will be the fulfillment of your life? Now, that's the thing you've got to leave here with today. I don't care who you are, where you are, what you think you know, what you think you don't know. The bottom line is this. What will be the fulfillment of your life? When it's all said and done, the end of Abraham's life, the last thing you read about him, the Bible says that God said he's my friend. And he got to be God's friend through a process of perfecting his faith. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God has a good work and good works that he wants you to perform. And the only way you're going to get that is to enter into that process of perfecting that faith that you have in him. What you can trust him for today and what you can trust him for next year and every year. Out of every six months, every week, every day, you ought to be able to trust God for more tomorrow than you can today perfect unto all good works you know what if you're saved here this morning all i can say is this and then i'm finished all i can say is this it frustrates me of what you have here and what you don't do with it in your own personal life i'm just going to be honest with you you say well i won't come back you know what i don't know what to tell you i really don't i really don't I'm at the point, this point, where I'm just about ready to tell them to forget the building and we'll just stay here and clean house and we'll have plenty of room. Why should I go into the debt? Why should we go into moving over there and doing all that when, 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 when a quarter of the people in this, if not only maybe a half people in this, really don't care and don't do anything anyhow? What is this? You tell me you ain't got something better to do on Sunday morning than to come and take this abuse? I apologize to you. We probably never come back again. I, I'm not like this normally. I'm sorry. Ed, wasn't it? Forgive me, Ed. I'm just, I didn't mean to do this. Heaven came down and God got a hold of my back of my neck. I, normally I'm very quiet and nice and I walk around, <laughs> pat people on the head. I'm sorry, buddy. This is a, you got in on a, you got in on a, on a family day today and I didn't plan it. But I'm tired of it. 
tired of you looking at God and the Word of God in the times that we live in. I can't do this all by myself. I can't. Some of you are going to, and it takes more just stepping up and saying, well, I'll teach the Bible. It takes, it takes taking care of what's going on here. It takes you being the leader here, not just when you get up there in front of somebody. It takes you standing up against your own family, standing up against your friend, taking God's side against what's right and what's wrong and say, you know what, that's what it says. You need to change your ways. Well, I don't, you're not my friend anymore. You know what, I got a better friend than you anyhow. But you're either dead in Christ this morning or you're dead to Christ. You're either dead in Him and you're on the way and you're going to do what God wants you to do and you're dwelling your way to getting this thing down and you examine yourself and you cover my back and protect this church and do everything you got to do or you're dead or you're dead, you're dead to Christ. You can't get anything from Him. You're just going through the motion. I don't even know why you're here. I don't even know why you bother to come. You don't do anything. You don't, you don't win anybody to Christ. You don't bring anybody. You don't, you don't, I don't know what you give, but you probably don't give anything. I don't care about that. But I'm just saying, this, mean, this place means nothing to you. You mean to tell me you don't have something better you can do on Sunday morning than to take this? What's your, what's your purpose? I mean, I'm telling you, we're living in a world that we think that, you know what? And I know what it is. You get so much. You have Thursday night. You have all the books of the Bible. An hour of my time. You have Institute. You have everything you want. You are just so fat and sassy now that you just kind of, you kind of bloated out. Well, you institute people, I put the test together yesterday. There's 155 questions on that test. If you miss 10 of them, you're going to be looking for another place. I've had it. Tired. Work my butt off upside one down the other, striving to solve all your problems and help all your little goofy things and work through you, which I'm not complaining about at all. And then 10 times the Bible, and then what? You don't do nothing with it? You just come here and sit like me and a frog in a hailstorm? You just come, come here and blink around and walk in and shake hands and walk back out again? God has a work for you. He has a work for us. And the only way you get that work is to perfect your faith. And I'll help you do it. But I'll tell you one thing. You need to go out of here today and you need to decide in your own heart. Either you're dead in Christ or you're dead to Christ. But it's one or the other. It's one or the other. And if you have any, can't figure it out, you want to come and ask me, I'll be glad to help you out. But that's it. There's no contradiction in the Bible. What a great truth. When you come to that place and somebody says, ah, there's a contradiction in the Bible. No, there's a great truth in the Bible. You were saved by faith plus nothing. 21 years between those two passages. 21 years where a man stumbled and fell and worked through the process of where he went and what he did and got to the place where finally he could give God the thing that he loved the most. You know why you won't, honestly, honestly, here it comes, and I'm done. I'm not going to go any farther than this because I won't improve on what I'm about to say. Just hope I don't forget. You know why you won't give, the, what, you, know, you know why you won't go any farther? You know why you will not go where you need to go? I'll tell you why, and I don't know what it is. You have to answer that. There's something in you that you love more that you don't want to give to God. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. You've got something that you love more than you love him, you don't want to give it up. You want the best of both worlds. You know what that makes you? That makes you a Christian who's not dead in Christ, who's dead to Christ. You're dead to Christ. You've got to figure it out. Got to figure it out. I just know this. We are either going to do this and do it right, or we are not going to do it. It's just that simple. 
we, I've been around the game too many years and I'm not playing it. Either we're going to do it or we are not going to do it. We are not going to continue to go on and just pretend we are when we're not. And you better decide in your heart this week. You better decide. Your, I'll tell you what, I came that close this morning of just getting up and telling everybody next week, you go find another church. Either you people a year and a half down, you stay and I'll minister to you because you're victims in this and you're, you know, you're, you're just innocent. You get this thing. I'll work with you and help you. Everybody else need to go out there and find out, find you a better deal. Because this one obviously isn't working for you. But now I ain't going to do that because I shot my mouth off and said it and probably worked out better this way anyhow. But you better decide what you're going to do. You better decide what we're going to do. God has given us the absolutely greatest, greatest opportunity in these last days and if you know anything about the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. God has given us the absolutely greatest opportunity. And I, maybe you're willing to, I'm going to tell you right now, listen to me. Listen to me. If I got to close this thing down and go start someplace else and start all over again, I'll do it. I am not going to play the games where we pretend we do it when we don't. It's just that simple for me. Maybe it works for you. It won't work for me. And I'm just being honest with you. I know some people have problems. You come in with issues. I'm willing to work through whatever situation you got, whatever problem you got. I will help you one way or the other. I will take with you to the cows come home. I don't care. I'm about solving problems. What I'm not about is playing games. You better decide if you're in Christ or not. But that's where the bottom line is. Every head bowed and every eye.